Let's open up to Revelation chapter 13. Let's start in, in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, in verse 18, it says, Little children, it is the last hour. And so you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. And so here John, in 1 John chapter 2, he says uh, the Antichrist is coming. When he refers to them as little children, he's just basically saying, hey, I love you guys. You're, you know, you're like my kids. I love you, and I want you to know that the Antichrist is coming. But, he said, even now, many Antichrists have come. There's this Antichrist spirit. There's the enemy who opposes Christ, who tries to replace Christ. There's this battle that even we are in today. And so, it's interesting, in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, when Daniel was talking about the different... Uh, powers and then eventually the the last one the beast it was referring to the antichrist would come he said man i want to know more about the antichrist i want to know more about that and you know i was just thinking lord why should we want to know about the antichrist and i guess in one sense so that we can see you're going to defeat him and when as we experience this did you know that in one sense, God's going to use you and you and you and all of you guys to defeat him? That it's a really beautiful thing. You know, the other day, a friend of mine told me a story about a gal who was uh, having a hard time, distraught perhaps in life. And uh, her dad, you know, told her, Mija, this is all you have to do. You read the book of Revelation. And if you go to the last couple of chapters, you'll see we win. We win. You know, and for us, it's important as we're going through the hard times. That's why God wrote it down, because we will go through tribulation on this earth. We will. But understand that in Christ, we win. And that's so important for us to know. The Antichrist is coming. We see the darkness over the land. We see the spirit of Antichrist. They say that more than likely, the Antichrist is going to be gay. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, but the Bible says that he will have no regard for women. And so more than likely, he's going to be gay. And so, I don't know, not to sound strange or anything, but just to kind of give you a historical, factual uh, thing, not that long ago, we would have never thought that anyone in the political realm could be gay. But things have changed rapidly. Things have changed overnight. As a matter of fact, this last election, uh, the number of transgender elected officials in the legislature have doubled. And so, believe you me, um, we're, we're now in a time where being gay and having that type of confusion with sexual orientation, not that we don't love them, we love them, but all I'm saying is this, is that now we're living in a world where it's not only tolerated, it's celebrated. It's not just like it's fair, it's favored. It's favored. So now when the Antichrist comes on the scene and they find out, you know, he's gay, it's, yeah, of course, it all sounds like what's gonna happen in the near future. And so, little children, uh, the Antichrist is, the hour now is, the Antichrist is coming, and, but even before then, we're gonna be dealing with that Antichrist spirit. And so, what do we learn in Revelation chapter 13? How do we defeat him? Notice what we read here in Revelation 13. We're gonna see uh, 
four things, the power of the beast, the praise to the beast, the purpose of the beast, and then the patience of the brethren. So we begin in verse one, it says, then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and 10 horns and on his horns, 10 crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. And so here, John, he makes his stand on the sand and he looks out into the sea and he sees a beast rising up out of the sea. Now, some will tell you that the sea is representative of the Gentile nations. Others will tell you that the sea is representative of the mass of humanity. We know this, that the Antichrist will rise up out of the pit. And we're going to see that uh, when we go through the scriptures. Now, the thing about it, when you look at this right here, is that the Antichrist is referred to as a beast. And the crazy thing, you guys, um, it, it's, it's amazing to me how meticulously accurate the Bible is on the details. Now, I would encourage you, I would almost beg you, please read Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, because these things, they go hand in hand, the leopard, the bear, you know, the lion, all those things, you're going to find them there. The John is linking up to the book of Daniel. Now, I haven't taught through the whole Old Testament, but I did do the book of Daniel. I leapfrogged over to the book of Daniel because I realized how important that book is. As a matter of fact, when you go to the book of Daniel, especially when you hit chapter 8, uh, chapter 10, chapter 11, you find meticulous prophecies about the, the intertestamental period that came to pass, you know, in the Greeks and their history with the Jews, the, the Maccabean brothers, so many, this, to the detail there. So God, what he does in the book of Daniel, he says, I want you to know that I know everything. I know all about the future. I know all the details. It's all there so that when we look at it, not only at the life of Christ and all the prophecies that he fulfilled, but then you just look at the book of Daniel, you're like, man, it's not just for the Jews, it's the whole wide world. God has it all set, the whole wide world. And there in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, you read about the beasts. The beast, the lion, the bear, the, the leopard. And then when you get to Revelation, you read about the beast. We had read about him earlier in chapter 11. This is the second time. We're going to read about the beast 37 times in the book of Revelation. And so what is a beast? Well, it's definitely not a domesticated animal. I was thinking about my friends. They just got a dog, cute, cute little dog, so cute. And I was thinking, that's not a beast. <laughs> it's an animal, you know, and you love it, man, so much, right? But a beast is a savage, vicious monster. And that's who the devil is. And he will give his power. The dragon will give his power to the beast. And we're going to see it as we go through the passages here today. You know, it says here in Daniel that he stood on the sand of the sea and he saw the beast rising up out of the sea. And he had seven heads and ten horns. And you might wonder, well, what's that all about? Go over to Revelation chapter 17. And notice in verse 7, 
But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her. Now, when we get to chapter 17, we'll get more details. But for now, I just want you to see the, the seven heads, which has the seven heads and ten horns. Verse 8, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Notice that even there it says that he's going to get defeated. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. We're going to see later that's in reference to Rome. But there are, they, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdoms as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And so here you see uh, John identifies what the seven uh, heads are, and he identifies them as five that have fallen. Now, when you look at the five that have fallen, you have to go back to the nation of Israel and find out the five kingdoms that have defeated Israel, that have subdued Israel. And you begin with the nation of Egypt, followed by Assyria, followed by Babylon, followed by Medo-Persia, and then followed by Greece. Very simple. So when John is writing, speaking of the Jews, it says five have fallen, and we're going to see that in Daniel 2 and Daniel chapter 7. And then he says one is. So when John is writing the book of Revelation, who's in power? The Romans. So five have fallen, one is, and then as he continues to look at this right here, he says, and then there's one that's coming. Now that one that's coming is now the, the sixth, now the seventh, and that seventh is the revived Roman Empire, and the Bible says that the Antichrist is of that seventh, that he is of that revived Roman Empire. And so when you look at the beast, you see the way that it all works, and you look at all these world powers, and you think about Alexander the Great, or you think about Nebuchadnezzar, or you think of uh, all the leaders of these different nations, and what you find the common denominator in all of these leaders that conquered the world of their day is the devil. And that's why this graphic right here is just so crazy. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was telling Henry, I said, hey, maybe you can do a graphic with, you know, the mass of humanity because that's what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to have that, that sway, that influence. The, the whole world will follow him. We're going to see the whole world is going to worship him. And it's the devil. You know who that picture is? That's Hitler. And, and, you, and you see it. We have seen such things even in our days. And we see now that these are things that are going to come. There's the Antichrist who has these seven heads and then the ten horns, and the ten horns have these ten crowns, takes us back to the book of Daniel chapter 7. And so I was wondering if you could turn there. To Daniel chapter 7, it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, uh, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. And then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. 
And Daniel spoke, saying, I was in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were, were stirring up the great sea. And that's kind of like Bible language is saying God's moving, right? And four great beasts, there it is again, the beasts. Four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And so when you study the ancient Babylon, you see lions everywhere. You see lions everywhere. And perhaps when you study like Daniel and some of these guys, there was a, a eventually a a, a, an eventual softness to some of the kings in Babylon. So that's why it does mention that eventually they kind of get like a heart like a man, but, but that's Babylon. Then in verse 5, it says, And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth and between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise and devour much flesh. And so this second beast is Medo-Persia. Now the reason why it's higher on one side is because Persia was stronger than Media. And the reason it has those three ribs in its mouth, it's because that was the kingdoms that they devoured. When you look at this right here, you see that they devoured three kingdoms, Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. Next, you move to verse 6. It says, After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So a leopard, what is it about a leopard? And these cats are fast, right? And one of the things you'll find about the Greek uh, civilization and the conquest of Alexander the Great is it happened fast. He conquered the world fast, the, all, the whole world of his day. And, and then it's interesting because when he died, which was a sudden death, his kingdom was divided into, uh, was succeeded with four generals that then inherited the kingdom. And so all this, why is God telling us, well, I know, I know the past. Look what he says next in verse 7. And after this I saw in the night visions... And behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And that's what we just read in the, in the book of Revelation, the, the ten horns, right? They're, they're, they're coming together. And what we see says next in verse 8, And I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one coming up among them, before whom of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man. There it is. And a mouth speaking pompous words. Now, as you continue on through the prophecy, he basically says, this is what's going to happen. And then... One day, the Ancient of Days, the God of Gods, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, will come up and defeat all those nations and set up his kingdom forever and ever and ever. But what we're finding as we're reading Revelation, as we're reading the book of Daniel, is God is giving us meticulous prophecies. Now, why ten horns? Well, we're going to see later that the ten horns are going to be ten sections of the earth, 
the world will eventually be a one world government and we're going to get to that in just a second but something that's interesting is when you read daniel chapter 2 do you guys remember daniel chapter 2 it had the image you know the gold head the silver shoulders the the brass the bronze uh, belly and thighs and then the the iron feet and toes and when you look at daniel chapter 2 there's the ten toes okay and the ten toes it says is mingled with clay and iron there's like a mixture there now the the interesting thing about that is, is saying that these things they don't mix and it says it mixes with the seed of men and that's an interesting phrase mixing with the seed of men and what we find is that back in the book of Genesis chapter 6, the, the, the sons of God, which are in reference to the angels or, or demons, they, they mingled with the daughters of men, and then God judged the world. And what we're going to find in the last days, and I don't know how it works with these spirits, I don't know exactly how it works, but somehow there's going to be this deep, demonic mingling, same thing which ripens the world, which darkens the world, which brings the world to that place of judgment. And so all I'm saying is that don't worry, God wins. Don't worry, we got this kingdom. We're, we're forgiven in Christ. We don't have to worry about that. But before that, it's going to get very, very dark. And what we find in looking at this, and just in case you're wondering, well, Manny, why doesn't it mention Egypt in Daniel? You mentioned five have fallen. Why doesn't he mention you know, Egypt? Why is there only four here? It's because when Daniel was writing, he wasn't looking back. He was looking present and forward. And so what we find is all coming together in, in book of Revelation, chapter 13, we see the power of the Antichrist. All these prophecies, they speak so clearly and coherently about what's going to happen leading up to the final world power headed by the Antichrist. You know, what we find is that inevitably the world is moving to a one world government. The world's most influential leaders continue to speak of that new world order. Have you guys heard that catchphrase? Even Winston Churchill back in the day he said the purpose of the new world order is to bring the world into a world government. And so leaders have created the World Bank, the World Health Organization, the World Trade Organization. We have even the World Courts, which also contain the International Criminal Court, the International Court of Justice. We have the United Nations, which want a world constitution. They want a world currency. They want a world income tax. They want a world military. They want a world global identification number. And they even want what they call a global ethic, which really, at the end of the day, comes down to a one world religion, okay? So we're just telling you this in advance, not, not to freak you out, but as you see the signs of all these things, then you realize that the Lord is coming soon. And there's a lot that that does to me when I realize the Lord is coming soon. And so we see the power, uh, we see the power source. Look again, if you would, back in Revelation chapter 13, Look at verse 2. It says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were the feet of a bear, and his mouth the mouth of a lion. Now, just as a, a trivial side note, I thought it was interesting, the order. So when you look at Daniel, it's first the lion, then the bear, then the leopard. But here it's the leopard, then the bear, then the lion, because Daniel was looking forward, 
and John is looking back. I thought that was kind of cool. But look at verse 2 again. It says, And the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And so we, we see his power in the seven heads and the ten horns. And we see now his power source. That his power is given to him by none other than the devil himself. And so the Antichrist, we're not sure exactly how, you know, this happens. I don't know if he makes a deal like a twilight zone, a deal with the devil, you know, in which he gives him his soul. Um, I do know that, you know, there's many ways that we can open doors to demons. Uh, and to me, the one classic example is Judas. You know, there's only two times in the Bible where we find the title, the son of perdition. One is for Judas, and one is for the Antichrist. And when you look at the life of Judas, do you remember what happened? Jesus was reaching out to him. Jesus was loving on him. Jesus was patient with him. Jesus even gave him the seat of honor. Jesus dipped his bread, and he said, here, Judas, my friend, you know, the one who eats his bread is going to betray me. And Judas is still with eyes wide open. He's like, cool, you know, he doesn't care. He just takes that bread and sops it in there and he eats it. And what happens? The Bible says that when, that, when he ate that bread, the devil entered him. And that's what will happen with the Antichrist. You know, the dragon will give him his authority and somehow he's going to come into his life. We know that Satan is called the ruler of this world, the god of this age. And basically what we find is that up to this point, there have been great restraints on the devil due to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit working through the church, but the church, remember, is now taken out of the way, we're raptured out, and so Satan's domain will dominate more than ever before. We see the, the seven heads of power, the ten horns of power, we see the source of his power. In verse 5, uh, we see the length of his power, if you would. Jump over to verse 5. It says, and he was given authority to continue 42 months. And so again, second half of the tribulation period is where he gets most of his power. And then in verse 7, if you would go down to verse 7, we see the extent of his power is granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so the enemy during this time, man, he's going to have that, that power. You know, of course we know it's a delegated power, and of course we know it's allowed by God to accomplish God's purposes, just like in the book of Job. But what we see here is it's going to be a heavy, heavy, heavy time. And so we see, number one, the power of the beast. Number two, we see the praise to the beast. Look at verse three, if you would. It says, And I, and I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. And so they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? If you jump down to verse 8, and it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know, one of the things that we know about the devil is that he's always wanted to be worshipped ever since his fall from glory. He tempted Christ to worship him. Here we see that in order to prompt that praise, the beast appears to be mortally wounded. Now, we don't know for sure if he actually died. It kind of seems, you know, like there's some type of lying wonder 
The Bible talks about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So more than likely, he doesn't die. It just appears to be, because only God has the power to give life, right? And so he fools the whole world, but, but what's he doing? He's just imitating Christ. That's what the devil does. He's a counterfeit Christ. The antichrist means opposed and instead of Christ. And so here he does kind of the same thing because he knows that works. And what we find is that the whole world worships the beast. And they worship the dragon who gave power to the beast. I was listening to a study by Pastor Chuck and he was talking about how, you know, how could anyone worship the devil? I mean, you would have never thought that that ever could be possible, but then Chuck Smith said, but then the day comes, and then this guy named Anton LaVey, he just starts a religion, it's devoted purely to Satanism, he writes the Satanic Bible, and next thing you know, you have people worshiping the devil. And, and you know, the Bible talks about this, that, you know, there are the children of God and, and the children of the enemy. It's a crazy thing to think that there would be people that actually give praise to the beast. But you look at things like this. You, you look at some of the political uh, scenes that we have witnessed over history, and you realize that, man, especially when the church is taken out of the way and the devil does his thing and given free reign, imagine the whole world is going to be there. That's why you want to make sure that you're ready. You want to make sure that you're right with God today. Because these are the things that are in front of us. He does this lying wonder spoken of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 9. And everyone is wondering, who's like him? Who can defeat him? Everyone, it says in verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Notice whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so all the unsaved people on planet earth will worship the Antichrist or die according to verse 15 and so that's why it's so important you guys that we have our names in the book of life it's so important that we know that Jesus died for me he was slain if you think about it the plan was set in motion even before the foundation of the earth I remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus do you remember what he said he said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't know about you, man, but I, I sin every once in a while, to be honest. <laughs> I, I sin a lot. If you were to ask my wife, she'd probably reveal even more. Bottom line is, we're all sinners. We sin every single day. But when we give our life to Christ, when we trust in Jesus, you know, I was... Uh, um, the other day, uh, I was, uh, I shouldn't say too much, but basically, <laughs> there's a young man, he's getting older, and I wrote him a little note, and I just said, you know, even though you're getting older, please never lose that faith of a child. That beautiful faith of a child that saves you, that saves you. Because we're no match for, for the devil. And I'm not trying to paint a dark picture. And I don't want to scare anybody. Or I don't want, to want you guys to walk out and be bummed because we talked about the Antichrist. But that's what happens when you're teaching through the Bible. I don't get to choose you know, the topic for today. God doesn't. So we're in Revelation chapter 13. And we're talking about this. But I want to make sure that you know that if your name is in the book, that you're clear, that you're free, that you're forgiven, that you are more powerful 1 John 4, 4 says, then the devil himself. 
And so as we're looking at this right here, we're just saying, okay, we see the, the power of the beast. And unfortunately, sadly, we see the praise to the beast. And we realize that if people are not saved, they may say, well, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. Listen, you will. Because you need the blood of the lamb. You need to be saved. You need to make sure that you gave your heart to Christ. You know, you need to make sure that you're not just playing church. But like I said earlier, it's not complicated or sophisticated. You don't have to get, you know, baptized or canonized or hypnotized or all that kind of stuff, right? All you have to do is to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me on that cross. I believe you rose again. Lord, I give you my heart. I want to follow you because there is a war. And as you give your heart to Christ in simple childlike faith, then what God does is he takes his, you know, pen. I think it's probably filled with uh, ink that's red with his blood. And he writes your name in the book of life. See, understand this is what's ahead. We have this, and it's just crazy to think about the, the power of the beast, the praise to the beast, and then the purpose of the beast. Look at verse 5. It says, And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. What does the, the beast do? I mean, he just, he just talks. He, he preaches his lies. He's just a liar. He's just a liar. You know, he opens his mouth, and I think there's a war that's a spiritual war. I think there's a war that's a physical war. It says right there, we're going to see that he is able to overcome even the saints. But what we find, you guys, is that uh, the devil's just a liar. He'll tell you things about yourself. He'll tell you things that aren't true. All he wants to do is John 10, 10, the devil has not come, the thief has not come, except to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his purpose, and he's going to do it with his lies. He's going to do it with his mouth. A lot of people, when you read Daniel and you read uh, different places, even Zechariah chapter 11, what you find is that the Antichrist, when he comes, he's going to be a very smooth and eloquent speaker. That's part of the way that a lot of times people get deceived, and he's going to be a talker, and he's going to be a liar. He's going to blaspheme the name of God. You know, and sometimes you hear things that come out of people's mouth and it's so anti-Bible. It's so anti-scriptural. You're like, man, you need to get back in the Bible. God loves you. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. I know we go through difficult times. I understand that. I do. I wish we... You know, we didn't, but we live in a world that's fallen and bodies that are fallen and broken and beat up. We live in this world where falling, you know, we're fighting fallen angels and demons. But man, when you get the Lord and the truth on your side, you're going to be good. You know, there is this purpose of the beast. It's a spiritual war. It's a physical war. We see that he kills. He actually is given the permission to take life. In verse 7, it says it was granted to him to make war with the saints, and that's in reference to Israel, and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe. 
And so the, the spiritual war with his lies and the physical war with his weapons able to take life. But, but look at verse 7 of Revelation chapter 11. It says in Revelation 11 verse 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And so, you know, he's talking about overcoming the saints. And so now we kind of put two and two together. And that means he's going to kill a lot of people. He's going to kill them. But look down at verse 11 of chapter 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. So even though the enemy is allowed to overcome them in, in the sense, you know, physical sense, and things happen in life physically that we wish were different, sometimes even people, you know, they, they die, but, but man, you know, they go to heaven. They go to heaven for us in Christ. It's victory. And when I think of friends that I know who've, you know, unfortunately have lost loved ones, sometimes at too young of an age. And the enemy sometimes will come in and he'll try to use that as leverage to you know, soften the commitment to Christ or, or to break their trust in the lordship of the, of the God of the universe who loves them. But they stay strong because they know that even though, you know, we kind of get overcome sometimes, it's just God's way of saying, well, come on over. Come on over because our home is not here. Our home is there. And so we got the power of the beast, and we're going to see that to a great extent. You've got the praise to the beast, and it just breaks your heart to think that people would actually worship the devil in any way, shape, or form. And then you get this purpose of the beast. What does he want to do? He wants to, to take people away, and what we find here is that he wants to lie to them with that message. But listen, please, if you're here and you've been struggling with that commitment, please don't listen to the lies of the enemy. I don't care what you're going through. You can't base your life on personal experience. It has to be the Bible. It has to be what God says in his word. And you have to know the last point we have for today, and that is the patience, or, or the Greek word is really perseverance, of the brethren because look what we read in revelation 13 verse 9 he says if anyone has an ear let him hear he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity he who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword here is the patience and the faith of the saints and so it's interesting in verse 9 you may have noticed that he omitted the words that we read seven times in Revelation 2 and 3. Remember what we read there? It says, what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let me hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But here it doesn't say that. It just says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Why is that? It's because the church is not here, right? The church has been raptured at this point. And so what is he saying? He's saying, hey, you guys, listen up to this for a second. What I'm trying to say to you is that the ones who kill, I'm going to kill them. The ones who go out during this tribulation and they're capturing people, God says, I'm going to capture them. I'm going to get them. Like, like we said in the beginning, 
we win. We win. No matter what you go through. If your faith is in Christ, I'm not saying life is easy, but you hold on to Jesus. You never let go of Jesus. Because understand that, that he who kills, he's going to get killed. The devil was just a murderer. He's always been a murderer. So God's going to kill him. And it's interesting because, you know, here they are capturing and they're doing all these things during the tribulation period. And it's going to be a horrible time. And, you know, we're not going to be here, but there will be some people who are going to be here during the tribulation period. And they're going to read Revelation chapter 13. And they're going to be encouraged by it as they're, they're seeing the, you know, the enemy capturing people in the church. We're going to be experiencing persecution and all that kind of stuff. And so what we find is that even in that, as we look at that, Later on, we're going to read in the book of Revelation that God is going to capture, we literally read those words, capture the beast and throw him into the lake of fire. And it's going to be so amazing. And so with that truth, notice what he says again there at the end of verse 10. He says, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Where is it, Lord? Where is it, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Some people are like, well, no, my life is too hard, and it's not what I want. And, you know, there's a lot of different things, unfortunately, that people go through, and they lose that patience with God. They, they kind of get sidetracked. The book of Hebrews talks about that. People get persecuted, or they go through difficulties. And it's because they're, 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 they're not rooted in the, in the, in the truth that the promise is not that everything is going to be nice and neat and cozy and comfortable now. The patience and faith of the saints is that ultimately every wrong will be made right. Justice will be served and the king will come with his grace and set up his kingdom and establish that for us as a church. And so for us, you guys, as we look at these things, my prayer is that you would know, like, you know, when you're going through hard times, where do you go? What, what passage should I read? I'll tell people, well, it's good to read the Psalms when you're going through hard times. You know, or what passage should I read? Or maybe, you know, you read the Gospels and the life of Christ. And there's, there's encouragement there. There really is. But, but maybe one of the best places to go is the book of Revelation. And you look over there on yonder in chapter 20, when the enemy is judged in 21, the new heaven, the new earth, where there's no more sin, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more Satan, no more darkness. And you realize we win. Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good to those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? All things together for good. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, then you're believing the devil. Romans 8.18, it says, the sufferings of this world are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that we'll experience one day. And that's why looking at this, and, and it's interesting, when you read about the Antichrist in the book of Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, remember the image, and then it says there was this big mountain, and he goes and he throws it at the image, and then it's all you know, destroyed, and then the kingdom of Christ. Every time they talk about the Antichrist, they always finish it off with who? Jesus Christ. They always finish it off with, but we win. 
And I pray, you guys, that we would know that. You know, the, the days are, are getting darker. Let me do something weird real quick. You're like, Manny, you're already weird. Well, I'm about to get weirder. What I want to do, as the days are getting darker, I kind of want to dim the lights, if that's OK. And I want to show you guys something. Can you guys see that? You're like, yeah, that's a big iPad. Huh? <laughs> no, not the iPad. The lights. As the days get darker, the lights become easier to see. You guys are the light of the world. We're the light. The church is the light. And we're going to be so different. Please, whatever you do, don't compromise. Not only that, as the days get darker, the lights are, are easier to see. I want to show you guys something even better, man. Check that out. Oh, no, not that one. <laughs> Where is it? Oh, yeah, this one's pretty good. Check that out. Doesn't that make you feel good? It even has sound effects. <laughs> what I'm saying is, because uh, I'm seeing it, you guys, and I'm meeting with the pastors today and the guys and stuff. I'm, uh, my prayer is that as the days get darker, that our fire and our commitment to Christ would grow even stronger, would grow even brighter. So here we are. We have a choice to make. Which way will we go? My prayer is that we would go forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He loves you. I know we go through hard times, but He loves you. He demonstrated it by dying for you. So now, I just encourage you to do something that's so cool. Just love Him back and enjoy the life that He has for you.